Welcome to Extra Virgin, a podcast for gourmands who love to travel and travellers who love good food. I'm your host, Natasha Mirosh, an insatiably curious food and travel writer who has toured and tasted her way around more than 60 countries. Join me now as I meet the passionate people who make travelling the world so rewarding and so very delicious. Hi there, thanks for joining me for this episode of Extra Virgin Food and Travel. On Good Friday in April this year, Chef Adam Wolfers, who is just 38 years old, was riding his bike when he suffered a stroke. The incredibly talented Adam, who's worked in Australian kitchens such as Est, Mark, Monopole and Yellow, as well as Wiley Dufresne's WD50 in New York and the three Michelin-starred Kiki de Costa in Spain, had taken over the reins as executive chef at Gerard's Bistro and Gerard's Bar in Brisbane's popular James Street in 2019 – where he set about creating a distinctive Middle Eastern menu inspired by his heritage, travels and his years of experience. Today I'm going to catch up with Adam and see how he's doing on his road to recovery as well as finding out what influenced his cooking and what the future holds. Welcome Adam. Hi Natasha, thank you for having me on today. That was quite an introduction. So <laughs> you're, you're yeah. very welcome, Adam. It's been a couple yeah. of years of highs and lows for you, right? I mean, you up sticks and left Sydney to come to Brisbane in mid 2019. Then mm. by the next year, 2020 and 21 were the start of lockdowns and closures, and then you had your stroke. How are you doing? Oh man, to be honest, it's at the moment I'm still recovering from. You know all the things that have happened. Yeah, like the the stroke is something that you know I think everyone takes their brain for granted, and I'm realizing that it does a lot more than what I anticipated. So everything from like sound and to see, walk, talk, all those sorts of things, mm. I had to relearn how to do all those things. So oh, it's gosh. been a, a very difficult time for me, but I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm 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 sort of thankful that I can walk, talk and, mm. you know, do all the things of what I was doing before, but it's mm. a little bit, you know, everything's very slow. So yeah. it's, um, yeah, yeah. Understandable. Well, we'll talk a little bit more yeah. about that in a minute. What about during lockdown? I mean, you hadn't been at Gerard's very long when all of that mm. started. How did you kind of cope with that? How did you transform and keep keep the restaurant going during that period? So basically during lockdown at the restaurant, we, you know, at the time it was very scary for everyone. And, you know, I don't think anyone knew yet. Like during lockdown at Gerard's, we set up a takeaway menu with with a special sort of exciting side of things. So it was to do with... Yeah, we, we sort of did a rotating menu during lockdown and it gave us an opportunity to basically try out new ways of new dishes and new exciting ways of cooking things because there was no expectation of basically, yeah, sorry. So it was like a creative opportunity for you in a way yeah, to flex, yeah, definitely. flex yeah. different muscles yeah. than you would normally in the kitchen every day, right? Mm. Yeah, like that, that was a, a great opportunity for 
myself and the team to try out new things and not have any expectation of, you know, the, the customers, you know, seeing the the finished dish on a plate. Mm. Whereas, it, you know, you could, you could inject the flavors to, to make it delicious and then it's... Yeah, it's basically up to the customer to plate it up. I have to say that I had one of your meals during lockdown and it was absolutely the most delicious thing that I had during the whole of lockdown. Mm. I had the thing. So I had the whole package with with an entree, a main and dessert. Oh, my God, it was so good. So good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm still sort of, yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of, you know, through the recovery, I'm, I'm getting used to talking, you know, it's, it's basically hard for me to have, have conversations with people because that's the, the part of the rehab currently. Yeah. It's, it's really important for me to talk to people and mm. that's why. Yeah, I think this is a great opportunity for me to say why. Yeah. We feel very yeah. lucky to yeah. have you. Talking about yeah. your recovery, can you tell us about that day that you had the stroke? Because I always presumed, I guess, that stroke is something that happens to older people. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a big shock to the whole, like for myself and the whole family and, you know, everyone that was, you know, in hospitality and it's, it's a big shock for everyone. But I think it, it's a – you have to be very <laughs> – very cautious of your health and the amount of things you're doing with your life. I was very active and I was, you know, I was riding 200 kilometers a week on my bike. Oh my God. And, and I was working a highly stressful job and I had two very young kids Mm. and that's, it's sort of like a, yeah, it's sort of, it's like as I'm recovering, I'm kind of working out what the cause was for mm. the actual stroke and the, the doctors, they, they, yeah, it's, it's scary because they don't know the exact cause of it. Mm. So they're, yeah, that's the scary part of it. But, you know, I think I'm on the mend and I'm staying positive and mm. it's, yeah, it's, it's very, yeah, it's been very hard. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to say that anymore. Yes. You'd, you'd had meningitis previous to that, hadn't you? Yeah, like so the start of the year I had meningitis in January and then I had and then I had covid straight after that and I I took 6 weeks off work which is for me that's a long time off work but mm. at the time I was kind of like oh you know it's it's yeah I think when it, when it comes to a brain injury you, you don't actually know what's happening in your head. like you don't feel anything mm. like at the time you, yeah it's it's very yeah, it's very difficult to sort of explain that. And I've sort of realized now how precious the brain is. So mm. it's, yeah, I think before I was just like, oh, you know, I was just doing a thousand things at once and you didn't even think about what the what the repercussions of injury to the brain are. And yeah, I think I've, I've realized that yeah. it's a very precious. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. What were you doing yeah. on that day when you had the stroke and what actually yeah. happened and how did you how did you feel so after i had my meningitis and covid i i basically had 6 weeks off work and then i uh, like after 4 months of going back to normal i you know i was just going 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 for a normal ride on a public holiday friday which is easter friday mm. and i went with the, the same group of guys i was going with all the time and 
I was just sort of on the front, you know, just sort of pedaling away. And then as I rose up to a hill, I, I sort of, I like rode up and then I, I felt like my heart beat very fast mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, you know, just push through. And then I felt the, like a, in the movies, how they have a, a record screech mm-hmm. when someone has a, has a stroke. I, yeah, I've, I've, I heard that in my head. And I, I completely, I just, my legs froze mm. and I literally went to one side and I was still clipped into my bike because I had the, the cleats in mm. and I couldn't even move. I could see everything and hear everything, but I couldn't verbalise anything mm. and I couldn't even move my right side. So it was very scary for me. And at the time I was like, oh, it should be fine. I, you know, luckily I was with a group of guys that were all doctors and they sort of, they got in doctor mode and they, yeah, it was, it was a very lucky situation for me because I was, the group of guys I ride with, they're all in the medical field and mm. that was a very lucky situation to be in. But um, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you sort of, you go a million miles an hour and then you, you don't know what's going on in your head. So it's, yeah, it's very scary so mm. yeah. had, had you fallen off the bike were you on the ground no like I literally was just going up a hill like 12 k's an hour and then I just dropped and I didn't injure myself from falling like it was I, I didn't even hit the, the ground hard mm. but yeah it was it was one of those things where the doctors sort of think it had something to do with the meningitis and then the COVID combo mm. and yeah I just sort of yeah, like the meningitis hadn't healed properly. It had something to do with COVID or, you know, it's it's all speculation at this stage. But I have I have an autoimmune condition, which is a con- contribution to all of those things. But, yeah, I think I'm sort of realising that diet and exercise is really important. So I was kind of, you know, I wasn't eating right and mm. I was just going a 1,000 miles an hour and now I'm sort of watching what I eat. So that's that's an important step mm. forward in my recovery. So, yeah. And, and what immediately afterwards, how mm. how were you? How did the stroke affect you? Like I couldn't even move my right side and I I couldn't talk. I couldn't, I could see everything and yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't actually, yeah, like the part of the brain that affected is the front part of my brain, luckily. So mm. that's, yeah, like I say, luckily, but yeah, it, I think it had it had nothing to do with my you know physical appearance or like I, I'm still look normal now. Mm. Whereas I, you know, in my head, I can't like I have aphasia, which is a like a a part of the brain where you can see everything, but the verbal side of things, like you can see everything, and then yeah, I think it's it's gotten a lot better because mm. I, I was I've worked really hard on rehab. Mm. But yeah, it's it's definitely very frustrating at times. <laughs> yeah. How how often are you having rehab, and what what does that involve? What have you had to relearn? Oh, literally everything. So from walking, talking, going to the toilet, yeah, everything from like walking across the road, you know, all those sorts of things. Like everything's it's very yeah. What's the word like? Yeah, frustrating and everything's intense. So everything from you know, anxiety to, you know, noise, light, big crowds. It was like, it's really intense. And then young kids, they're, you know, I have two beautiful children, but I can't 
yeah, I have to be careful with sort of, you know, I'd love to hang out with them and play with them, but the noise is just super intense. So it's, it's very hard. So I think, you know, it's, 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 kind of, it's going to get better, but mm. it's very frustrating at times because I, I, my brain wants me to do a thousand things, but my mm. body's not going to let me do that. So, mm. yeah, it's really, really difficult. Yeah. How did you explain it to your children? They're two years old and, and five years old. Do they understand that, you know, you're not the same as you were before at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think my wife sort of, she's been amazing through all this because she's had to, you know, take on two very young kids and, you know, a, a str- yeah, m- myself who's recovering from a stroke. And, mm. you know, for her, she's been amazing and, uh, you know, it's it's been very hard for the whole family, but I think she told them, "Oh, Dad had a bike accident," and they were so like, "Oh, did he? Did his brain get affected?" Mm. She was like, "Oh, you know, he's not he's not quite there." Like she didn't explain that to him, and but they they're very young and they don't really understand the yeah. I think they they sort of thought, "Oh, Dad had a bike accident, and you know, mm. he's recovering." So yeah, I think it's been very hard for us as a family and Mm. you know luckily I have my parents and my in-laws that are helping a lot with looking after the kids and yeah yeah, it's it's definitely very yeah I guess when they can't see something wrong with you you know physically you know you haven't got an injury on your body or whatever it must be harder to take in when you're so young and you, you don't really understand that Let's talk a little bit about health in hospitality particularly and there's been a lot about mental and mental health in particular but also physical health. I know as a job it's really hard on your body but it's it also must be quite a mental strain. What's it been mm. like for you over the history of you working? Have you seen things change and what kind of things do you have you observed happening in hospitality? Well, I think when I was, you know, young and, you know, when I was about, you know, when I was sort of working in the hospitality sector from, you know, the age of 20 through to, you know, 30, 30, I just sort of pushed through and didn't even worry about, you know, the implications of health and all those sorts of things. You know, I just sort of was trying to, you know, push myself to the limits and I, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm a very, very perfectionist. perfectionist? Mm, um, strong yeah, perfectionist. Mm. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm very, yeah, perfectionist and high achiever in all things I do. Mm. But that's, that's sort of, you know, I think in all sort of workplaces, you know, the high stress sort of thing can take its toll over, over the course of the years. And, I think in hospitality especially, it's sort of, you know, at the time you don't even think about mm. the future, yeah. whereas now it's something I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm sort of looking back on what I was doing previously and it's not healthy. So, mm. yeah, I think, you know, after, <laughs> after this big scare, I'm sort of very diligent on what I'm eating and, mm. you know, that's, that's the main thing. So mm. that's a... Yeah, It seems like, though, I mean, we hear a lot about 
changes happening in hospitality, but it's it seems like there's still this attitude of toughing it out and you know glorying in that high stress environment. But as we've seen with examples like Anthony Bourdain, it takes a toll mentally. How do you think both sides, both you've talked about ways that you've talked about how you're reassessing how you work and your attitude to work, but how do you think both sides can do that? Like how can employers be better to their employees while still, you know, being maintaining profits, of course? Mm. So I think we're, you know, I think now that the next generation of chefs, they're sort of, you know, we're, we're not having, we don't have many chefs coming through from mm. the pandemic and, you know, everyone's sort of, you know, there's a lot of technology around now where they have access to other, other ways of, you know, research and, you know, I'm not sort of, yeah. yeah so, so the next generation, I guess, yeah. are much more vocal about, mm. about, and much more aware, like you are, I guess, of the implications mm. of stress and standing up for themselves a bit more, I guess. Is that, do you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And so I think at Gerard's, we have made changes to that. Mm. So everyone's working four days on, three days off, and that gives them an extra day to sort of be with family and friends and, you know, that, that side of things. Like it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's a lot more, like I think the bottom line for the restaurant is a lot slimmer, mm. but I think the most important thing is to have happy staff and, mm. you know, they they're, they're going to work for you a very long time if you treat them with respect and you know give them an extra day off and yeah I think that's that's something that I didn't get as a as an apprentice and you know now I'm sort of you know I'm I'm very vocal about that with my bosses like oh look after the guys in the kitchen and you know they they've actually been very helpful and they've listened to everything I've said and that's that's what we're doing at the restaurant currently. You're very lucky that you have such understanding and, uh, you know, yeah. smart to be investing in, in staff like that, you know, long-term mm. instead of just, yeah. just thinking about the immediate future. It, is there also more discussion among workers themselves about mental health in particular? I mean, it used to be something, and physical health, it used to be something that wasn't really discussed. Do you think people are more, staff are more open talking among themselves now as well? I mean, I think, yeah, that the mental health side of things, I think it's very vocalised now. Like there's the thing with the, the yeah, the, what's the, oh, sorry. That's right. Yeah. Um, what's that? Mm. What's that? Like um, Beyond Blue day Beyond Blue? Hey? Beyond Blue? Oh, Beyond Blue, yeah. Yeah. And then there's that special day. Are you okay? Are you okay, Dave? Are you okay? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah mm. Thank you. So I think those sorts of things are helpful for, you know, the staff to have access to. And it's all the, all the chefs are currently using that, those avenues to speak out. And, mm. you know, I think that's very important for the hospitality sector, like the, those sorts of avenues to discuss. Yeah. Mm. Well, 
for listeners who haven't been to Girard's or heard of it perhaps if you're listening from another country or interstate, it's a very respected restaurant in Brisbane, Australia with a really unique, I'd, I'd say Middle Eastern meets the Mediterranean style menu. You may you may have something to say about that, Adam, but its former chef, Ben Williamson, has gone on to have his own well-respected restaurants. So you had pretty big shoes to fill, Adam, but also a clientele who presumably liked the menu as it was. How did you go about stepping into Ben's shoes but making the menu your own? I mean, it was very tough from the, from the get-go because... There's a lot of, you know, it was, it, was, it was very hard because I was coming from Sydney and, you know, Ben is an amazing chef and really good mates with him. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's still, and he sort of, I, I met him throughout like different, like different cooking sort of festivals, like mm. throughout the years. And then I, he sort of, like once I had the opportunity to, you know, ask if someone poached, not poached, Someone had contacted me in Sydney and they asked me to come up to Brisbane for a, like, to work at Gerard's. And I was like, oh, Gerard's, okay, well, I know Ben Williamson and I messaged him and I was like, oh, Ben, are you still at Gerard's? And he was like, oh, this is in 2019. And he was like, oh, no, I've, I've left there. And I was like, oh, do you reckon someone has contacted me regarding to work there? And he's like, oh, go for it. Like, I think you'll be a great fit and, mm. you know, your style of food will fit nicely in with the with the Gerard style and, you know, I think you can make it your own. And I was like, oh, you know, that's, that's amazing. And I, I came up here and Johnny took me out for dinner and then he, he brought me up to do a tasting for all the all the owners and they, you know, they, they sort of heard of me from like from previous uh, places I've worked and, you know, they, I sort of went into the kitchen and I was like, oh, this is an amazing kitchen and, you know, I think I could, I could do something here to bring it back to life or like, you know, change, you know, change it from, you know, they, they were doing stuff amazingly before but it sort of needed to, go in a different direction and that was something that Johnny wanted me to come up and and do and I I sort of at the start there was a lot of you know sort of backlash like oh where are the wings where's the brisket and all those sorts of things and where's the fried cauliflower and I was like well yeah those things are delicious but I I kind of that's not you know it Ben's amazing and Mm. that's what he's doing but I think we need to change it up a bit and you know the style was very hard but it was after a while they sort of realised my food's still delicious or our food's still de- delicious and it's after a year there was like a different clientele sort of came and enjoyed the food. So it was it was still, it was, it was definitely very difficult at the start but it, they'd come around, yeah. Yeah. And your background yeah. is Hungarian-Jewish, is that right? And so... Yeah. You've incorporated some of those food traditions into the menu, right? Yeah. So so previously I did Etelek, which was a, a pop-up restaurant in Sydney, and that was focusing on, you know, Jewish food and Hungarian slash 
you know, Middle Eastern. So all those sorts of flavors are very similar to a progressive Middle Eastern Mediterranean restaurant. So it was an easy fit for me to come through and do those sorts of things. Yeah. So for example, I, I did like a wood-fired bagel. And so the bagel is a traditional Jewish little, oh, like every country's got its own version of a bagel, but mm. I sort of, you know, I, I did a twist and I cooked it in the wood fire oven and it, it's like it's like a pita bread but it's shaped like a bagel so it's mm. got like the blistering crispy bits of a pita bread and then the, it's shaped like a bagel and then it's, it's basically our signature bread at the restaurant. Yeah, so those sorts of things I sort of bought with me and it's, it's now a, a popular dish at Gerard's. Yeah. Oh, my stomach is rumbling. It sounds so delicious. Adam, who has been your inspiration in your cooking? Brent Savage is a is a chef from Sydney, and he he's basically a chef that you know I work like he he's the owner of Bentley Restaurant and Bar in Sydney and Yellow Monopole Cirrus. So he's got a a very a, a big sort of group of restaurants that are you know. They're very exciting and the way that he cooks, he he looks at vegetables in a very particular way. Mm. And that's, yeah, so he's my, like basically my, as I, as I went through my apprenticeship and I worked in all the places I did, I got the most out of working with him. So, mm. yeah, so when I was at, I opened Monopole, which is a wine bar in Sydney, and then Yellow, which is a vegetarian restaurant or vegan restaurant currently. And, yeah, I think he gave me the opportunity to be a head chef when I was 26 years old, which is amazing for, for mm. back then or, like, for a, a, any young chef. And I sort of I took the opportunity as a – I was still very young, but I, I wanted to learn off Brent. Mm. So he's, he's obviously a big inspiration for me. What do yeah. you think might be some of the trends that we're going to see in cooking in general? So you I think the, tre- the, the trend of the you know, no waste will continue to grow. Yeah. The environment being such an important issue, um, that's, that's sort of the, you know, I think that's what we do at Gerard's currently is look at no waste and utilising the whole vegetable and, you know, you, we get a whole carrot with the, the stems or like the, the tops and then we turn that into a, a thing called a no waste zata, which is a, a zata is like a, a little condiment in the Middle East to use on breads, and you know they use it on everything. Um, which is a combination of um, like zata, the herb, uh, sumac, sesame, and then like at the restaurant we use the tops of the carrots to make a zata. So all the like, all the tops of the you know the turnip tops, we dry those out. And then over the wood fire, and then we sort of blend that in with um, spices and sesame, and that's sort of like a no way sata. So that's an example of um, you know the kind of things that you, yeah, yeah, yeah. That excites me as well. I love the idea of of no waste, and I try to to implement that at home. I mean, I'm not a chef, Mm. but I really like (laughs) using everything that I can. What about you? working are you working at the moment i am working at the moment so it's only a couple of days a week um like it's it's yeah like i have to be 
like I'm a very um, sort of, you know, uh, um, like a practical or like not practical, like I have to be a very hands-on person. I can't sit mm-hmm. in front of a computer staring at a screen. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's uh, I'm very much a... Um, Yeah, hands on. Yeah, yeah. And basically, um, for my recovery, it's amazing. Like, I'm sort of, you know, I'm getting my, you know, I lost my um, palate, which is something that, yeah, everyone takes for granted. Um, But I I got it back after a a while. So that was lucky. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, you know, I think, everything's going to eventually come back, but it's um, going to take time. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely, um, yeah. <laughs> you were talking yeah, about sorry. you were talking about how this has had an effect on you and the way that you think of life and work. What are some mm. of the changes that you've made since you've had the stroke in the way you approach life and work? Um, yeah, I mean, like, I think I've realized that the importance of family is, is something that is, I've, you know, before I was just sort of working, you know, working all the time and I didn't have time for my family. And now I've realized, oh, you know, I need to make time for my family and friends and that side of thing. Whereas before I was just kind of like going a thousand miles an hour and I don't have, t- I didn't have time to do anything else. And now I've sort of realised, oh, you know, if, is that really that important? <laughs> I think, I think it is important. But I think the most important thing is health, family. You know, to be happy. And I, you know, I think, yeah, was I happy? I like, I was happy, but in a different way. So now I'm sort of realising, you know, I want to see my kids grow up mm-hmm. and. I, I want to, you know, see, you know, pick up Harlow, Harlow at the end of school or go, see Hayden go to the toilet the first time. Like I've, mm. I've seen all those things since I've been at home mm. this time and, you know, it's it's been amazing. Um, but, you know, I think it's definitely something I'm going to take into consideration, like going back to work. Like mm. a, Okay, I've got six quick questions for you, Adam. Four yeah. people, dead or alive, that you'd like to share a dinner table with. Dan Barber of Blue Hillstone Barns in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a cyclist, <laughs> Wout Van Art, who's like a cyclist from Belgium, and uh, Victor Wooten, who's a famous bass player, and then Renee Redzepi, who's uh, another chef. So a table of four with those people. would be great (laughs) well i only know two of those people but i'm going to google the cyclist and the bass player after (laughs) (laughs) okay if you weren't if you weren't a chef what would you be um so previously i did um music at university and um i played the bass and i was in quite a few bands and that was sort of before the chef career took off Mm -hmm. and i think you know uh, if if i um stuck with it, um, you know, whether I would, you know, be a teacher or, you know, be in a, in a great rocker band, it's, it's, you know, those things would be amazing. Well, that's something else for me to Google. Adam Wolfler's <laughs> band. <laughs> yeah. 
Adam, what's a kitchen habit that you have that drives everyone wild? Um, I have a slight OCD habit of refixing my apron again and again, kind of like the Nadal serve. So I just sort of get the strap and fix it all the time. So yeah, that's that's one of the the thing that everyone drives everyone wild. <laughs> and if you could only ever eat one cuisine again, what would it be and why? Uh, so Chinese food because it's tasty and such diverse and bold flavours. So that's mm. the... What's a food that you just can't stomach? Um, I can't have a cup of cream because I have... Um, I'm lactose intolerant, so uh, <laughs> I think that's a... Yeah, definitely something that I can't stomach. <laughs> what piece of advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Uh, like I think um, that's a tough question to ask. Um, eat he- eat healthy mm. is a big one that I would say. Like, watch what you eat because before I was just sort of you know going a thousand miles an hour, just mm. eating on the move, and you know at the moment I'm sort of you know watching what I eat, and I'm mm. I'm much better for it. Adam, yeah. I wish for you the very best in your recovery, and that you keep improving every day. And I will be in to see you at Gerard soon. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to Extra Virgin, a podcast for the Epicurious. You can get more great food and travel inspiration, including stories, recipes, reviews, and more on our website, www.extravirginfoodandtravel.com. You can also follow Extra Virgin Food and Travel on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or email us at extravirginfoodandtravel at gmail.com. If you haven't already, go to Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, to download and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until we meet again, bon voyage and bon appétit.